The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 139. At the end of the episode, we'll be playing chapters 21 and 22 from Beyond Brightside. Uh, I'm digging it. Hopefully, you guys are as well. If you haven't listened to it, go back to earlier episodes, get earlier chapters, or pick it up on Audible, find a way, someplace like that. Anywhere audiobooks are sold. Um, man, been a busy week. Very busy week, a little bit of a depressing week, um, but trying to keep shit positive. Uh, always, everything we deal with, man, I think it's just all on perspective. Luckily, I have some good friends that are helping me realize that, re- reminding me about that. Um, my wife's been super supportive, understanding about what I've been dealing with. And uh, yeah, so we'll get into that in a minute. First off, though, uh, try not to die in the Wizard's Tower. That content is going on in my dark uh what is it dark and disturbing fear filled fiction uh, but i realized the book comes out tomorrow all these people that are in the contest are going to be able to read it i trust most of them but it just you don't want to have a contest going on where people could actually read all the answers ahead of time so i think we're going to end that early everyone was very understanding i think they would like to read the full book anyhow so that book four trying to find the wizard's tower that will be out tomorrow on Kindle. And then a few days later, it will be for sale. The print version will be on sale. So you'll be able to get it in time for Christmas, which is pretty cool. A uh, lot of cool illustrations in there. Um, really can't stress enough that this is the work of Michael Sage Riki. I had very little to do with this. He did the entire story. He did the artwork for the cover. He did all the interior illustrations, which are really cool. Um, so very cool book very special book uh what's really cool about it is he will have these same characters or similar characters coming back in probably like book eight or nine i'm not sure when we're gonna have the second one out and then on his own he might do a trilogy a fantasy trilogy with these characters which is awesome that's what i'm really trying to get him to do um so that's what's going on with that uh tbrcte it's still Hopefully today, uh, the printer approved everything. They should be enabled for distribution. We had a big problem with that. Uh, looks like all problems are fixed. So that should be out by tomorrow at the latest as well for the print copy. Uh, and I'm switching it over to the Kindle Unlimited. Uh, that might be another day or two. I had to take it off of other platforms. This doesn't make sense to have it on Apple, Barnes & Noble. Almost no one buys there. I don't do my marketing with through there. So it's just so much easier for me to just keep everything on Amazon. So that is what I'm doing. Um, that has been going well. Been getting some really cool responses, getting it to guys I played with. I've had a lot of uh, very cool, very intense conversations. Um, you know, hearing other people's problems makes me realize, you know, mine aren't so bad. Um, but I still do need to look at my problems, look at where I'm at, you know, um, I think one of the things I'm dealing with right now is like, okay, I just wrote this book about how much better I'm feeling, uh, you know, how much improvements I made with my brain, which I did, 100% I did. I wouldn't be here um, talking right now if I hadn't done these things. I probably would have been dead or in prison or who knows, definitely divorced. Um, If I hadn't taken, you know, all these steps, if I hadn't looked at brain damage, if I hadn't tried to correct my own, uh, 
But I realized also because of the stress of the holidays, everything else going on, uh, wasn't eating that great. I realized I've been having a harder time dealing with uh, emotions, different shit like that, being depressed, being anxious, doing, you know, not doing the, the things that have been helping me so much. Like, you know, I always used to do the sauna and breathing and meditation and going into cold water and eating better. And um, all those things I kind of stopped uh, or I do very little of. And so it was just a combination of things. Uh, I decided to get my brain scanned, um, did a QEEG through vital head and spine just to see where I'm at. If there's a reason why I'm, you know, having these different things or struggling with in different areas and including uh, my imagination hasn't been that great. I haven't been doing much in the way of fiction. Part of that is because just time and focused on, on these other projects, but part of it is also that I just, um, yeah, my imagination just feels like it's, it's not where it should be. Um, and that's generally, you know, that hasn't been a problem for me in the past ever. So I went to get my brain scan just this week. I got the results back and, um, we knew I still had a lot of stuff to work on. It was just a matter of time, like, okay, whether or not I want to even work on it, if I want to spend the money, if I want to go down there, you know, spend the time to, uh, to do therapy and all that. But seeing this new, because the technology has increased, so they're able to see deeper, see stuff that was there before that we just, they didn't have the technology to, to see it yet. So there's those things that we need to fix which is cool. Didn't have a problem with that. I was like, I'm all, I'm all for it. But then we were able to see that there was new damage. Um, and by damage, I, I'm just going to say, so my right frontal lobe, uh, there's areas of it that are severely under-functioning. Um, those areas were not under-functioning two years ago when I had my last brain scan. So it originally, it was mainly the left side that was showing the damage. Uh, we fixed all those, or we greatly improved those areas. Those areas are still looking good, which is awesome. But now the right side is showing under-functioning and I'm trying to understand, okay, well, how did that possibly happen? I haven't had any blows to the head, no traumatic brain injuries. Um, you know, I've been looking into a lot of, a lot of uh, research is showing that people that have TBI symptoms, if they, if they had COVID, then it might cause more inflammation. It's attacking those areas in, a brain, in our body and, and brain that have more inflammation. So possibly that, maybe I had COVID, maybe I never realized it. Um, that is a possibility. I don't know. Um, who knows? I did, I had all my vaccinations. So I had the two vaccinations plus the booster shot. I'm not saying that's what caused the damage, but who knows? Like maybe it affects people that have TBI. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the same type of thing where, you know, whatever. I know a lot that's going to upset a lot of people. Just the idea of that can set, upset a lot of people, but I am having my brain, uh, I'm having my wife redo her brain scan. My daughter had been scanned uh, two years ago. I'll have her redo hers. If she's showing similar shit, then I don't know. So I'm reaching out to different doctors, uh, the CLF, Concussion Legacy Foundation, also Dr. Gordon, asking him, you know, if they've seen similar things with TBI people. Um, I have an appointment with a neurologist next week. Um, he works with the Rams and a bunch of other sports teams. So he should be excellent. Uh, you know, we'll get an MRI. We'll see where my damage is. Because um, the other thing I'm really afraid of, because it doesn't matter where the damage is coming from, but 
if this damage is coming due to CTE. If my brain is uh, degenerating like that, that would suck. But again, even if that's the case, fuck man, I got people, I got good friends that are dying from cancer. I have friends that have such worse health problems than I do. So this is whatever, man, this is, this is just something I got to deal with. Um, and the good thing about this, you know, and again, it's always trying to work on that perspective because it's super easy to, uh, get depressed. It could be scary. It could be whatever else, you know, like this morning I woke up me and I fucking, I was just depressed. I, I wanted to kind of cry. Like it was just, just this overall shitty feeling. So I did my stuff. I went and worked out, feel way better. Now I'm like, okay, fuck it. No, this is, I'm going to make this positive. I'd already had the idea. I probably talked about it on here, but I don't remember because my memory fucking sucks. Um, about book two, a follow-up to TBI or CTE. This, originally, it was going to be, the intention was to follow probably four other individuals. Uh, I think that's what I'm looking at right now. You know, two males, two females. Um, one of my friends, he has terrible sleep, uh, awful sleep. And so we're worried about that. We just realized it's, he played college uh, soccer. He played soccer all the way to college, even as an adult. He was heading all the time. So I'm pretty sure that's where all his damage came from. Another friend, um, I'm not sure whether or not he wants to be in the book yet, but he was in the military, also played college football. And then I would like to look at uh, two females. I have one female fighter in mind, uh, MMA fighter, and I'm not sure who the other person will be. Um, but I wanted to show, so with that book, I want to show like, okay, this protocol will work. It will improve other people like it improved me. Um and I want to try other treatments. And part of my new, like I'm developing my treatment plan right now, um, that is going to include the hyperbaric oxygen treatment. I haven't tried that yet. I'll be doing more neurofeedback. I'm going to go deeper with hypnosis uh, with Alexandra, who was on here before. Uh, that was a cool episode, but that helped me a lot. So I'm going to use that. Uh, I'm going to offer that to my uh, friends that are doing it with me. Um, you know, I'm going to get, I just wrote to Joey House, who did my, uh, he's a Wim Hof instructor, awesome black belt. Um, I do his breathing class, but again, I fell off of it. I haven't been doing his class because of lifting weights or doctor's appointments or whatever else overall, just falling away from it. So I'm going to get with him. Um, I had thought about doing this for in the first book, uh, but we just didn't have the time. Um, I was kind of already done with it. I wanted to move on to fiction. But now I'm understanding, okay, I do need to do these things. So um, I'm going to have him kind of develop a little plan for me. I don't know how much psychedelics are going to be involved in the first part of it because I have to be careful with my brain. Um, you know, I want to talk to a neurologist about that, which psychedelics are going to be safe, which ones pose a risk for someone with my condition. Um, but with Joey, you know, probably doing a retreat with myself and these other people where we're working for sure, we're doing breath work, we're doing um ice baths we're doing um he's got a bunch of other cool shit so i think that will be good and especially if it's focused on tbi the problems that we as a group have um so you know really trying to spin something that's a little bit of a negative into a positive because whatever the situation is what it is and so either i could be upset about it i could be a victim whatever and I remember I did all this shit to myself. I played football. I fought. I fucking 
broke bottles on my head. I was a dumb shit. I, uh, I was showing my son a picture yesterday of my, and this is, I think it's in the book. I'm not sure, but this is my heavy bag. Uh, as a kid, as a teenager, um, all the brown on it. I don't know if you could see that, but it's covered in brown spots. That's all blood. I was trying to, and he, he couldn't understand. He's like, why would you do that? And I was showing him my knuckles. I was like, cause I was, um, I was like, I was so angry. I fuck, I hated myself. Uh, just low self-esteem, suicidal, all these things. And just letting him know, like, and that was all when I was going through, you know, concussion after concussion after concussion. Who knows how much it affected me? But after doing research, it, like, it did affect me for sure. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't want to blame everything on traumatic brain injuries. I had, you know, other issues from childhood and whatever else. But those, you know, look at the research and make your own judgments on whether or not it will affect someone having suicidal thoughts, more depressing thoughts, stuff like that. So again, don't want to blame it all on football or fighting or head trauma, but I do think that all contributed, um, you know, just kind of like the perfect storm. So that's where that all is. Um, I am going to uh, start working on that. I'm trying to plan that uh, on a positive note. I have other sh cool shit going on. I'm going to make 2022 not only about healing the brain, but I'm definitely going to be doing the try not to die board game card game with my family. I was talking about that. I said, look, this is one thing I would really love to do. They love card games and board games. Um, I bought a whole bunch for Christmas and uh, we're just going to design our own. I was like, uh, my, I was talking with my son about the other night. He's like, well, who will make the money? If it, I was like, well, it's probably going to take a little while before it makes money. I said, but you know, we will, it'll be ours, you know, our families. He's like, well, will I get money if I help create it? I was like, yeah, of course, dude. I said, if you're putting in the work. And uh, so he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And my son's only eight. So I thought this was pretty awesome. But he's eight years old. And he tells me, he's like, all right, we're not going to put out any new books for a little while. He's like, instead, we're going to develop the game. And then we're going to make the card set for each of the each of the books that you have already. And then we're going to put that together in like a really cool box set. And then you can put out the next book. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. He's got a good business mind. Uh, it will help me. And it's just going to be so much fun developing it with them, spending time with them. Um, I'm realizing that's something that we kind of fell away from. You know, we were doing dinners on the couch. We have different activities. We weren't talking as a family. So one of the new things I'm really uh, going to be working on is like, no, we do dinner at the dinner table. We have talks. We have fun. We enjoy each other. Um, you know, and doing this game is going to be cool. We're also... Uh, getting uh very close to starting up a 10th planet whittier and we're talking about making it super cool so not just like a little one like i was like let's do it right you know we who knows how long we have to live and that's one thing i keep you know some people say that's a negative outlook but i always think about death and how short life is we don't know how long we have like so why not make it fucking as badass as possible so that's what 2022 is going to be. Um, yeah, whether or not it turns out that way, we'll see. But that is my intention. That's what I'm setting out to do. Um, I think I generally do a pretty good job of following through on shit. So with these three things, that's what I'm going to do. So I will be doing the brain book. Who knows when it'll be done, especially because I'm going to be following other people and who knows how much healing I need. Um, and then we will have the trainers to die board game and an awesome gym where I can start training no gi with my family. So that is 
my intention for next year. Hopefully you guys got some cool stuff that you want to do, whether it's improving yourself, uh, doing more stuff with your family, whatever it is, just make those plans, stick to them. And uh, yeah, I think having that, having that goal. So it's not just getting through life. It's like, no, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this and then go and do them. So, all right, guys, I am going to leave you. I got a bunch of shit to do. I still got to do a newsletter, all that good stuff. Uh, thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. Hopefully this helps someone. Uh, let's go out on Beyond Brightside. This is chapter 21 and 22, narrated by Darren Elliker. All right, guys, take care. Have an incredible week, and I will talk to you next week. Later. Chapter 21 Captain Donner's eyes were closed, the sword pinning him to the carpet. His heart still beat, one thought repeating, Help will come. Help will come. Becky walked behind the captain's desk. No, it won't. Not for you. My heart thumped, a throb rising in my ears. Blood poured out the back of Donner's neck, turning the carpet into a soggy mess. My vision wavered, and all that red became black. Sensing that I was about to pass out, I backed down on a folding chair. Becky and Donner were thinking, but their thoughts were muffled, the thrumming all I could hear, images from the last week flying in front of me. Rachel without a face, Wayne with a hole in his forehead, boots burning in the helicopter, heads barely hanging on from a shotgun blast, splattered on the ground from a 200-foot fall. Boots murdered in their cars, blown to bits, choked, stabbed, stunned. So much fucking death. That is what we had become. Joe, you gotta breathe. I tried. Blew out what little air I brought in. I sat up straight and opened my eyes. Felt a little better. Becky was on the captain's laptop, flying through the different windows. Behind her, the whiteboard was divided into three sections, with colored magnets spread about the majority taking up the first two sections. I couldn't read the names on the magnets, the writing too small. Are those the prisoners? Becky didn't hear me, all her attention on the spreadsheet, searching a list of names for a Peter and Paula. Captain Donner's thoughts were weak and far apart, but so goddamn sad. Laura. Oh, Laura. Becky looked up, not in the mood for my sensitivity. She walked around the desk and hovered over the captain, twisted the sword as she pulled it free. She wiped the sword clean on his pants and hocked a loogie on his cheek. Fuck him. Fuck all of them. The pressure in my skull swooped back, but I pushed it away with my breath. Your parents? Nothing yet. I pointed to the name tags. Are they up there? She glanced at the board. Don't know. I'm going to gather all I can, but you gotta pull it together and watch the front door. If anyone's alerted, we're not getting out of here. Not ready to give up, I got to my feet. Sterling lay where he'd been, his blood mixing with the spilled coffee. Not wanting to get messier than I already was, I went over to the blonde guy who hadn't moved either. No thoughts. No heartbeat. I took his radio and clipped it onto my belt. There were some papers on his desk but they didn't mean a thing to me when I looked over them. The top drawer was full of office supplies, nothing useful. Middle drawer was more of the same, the bottom drawer empty. An angry grunt came from Donner's room as a plastic trash can came flying out, magnets scattering across the floor. 
I assumed it had to be her parents, but asked, What is it? The soft clank of keys and bootsteps approached the front door. Oh, shit. I didn't know if Becky could hear me with a wall in the way, but I thought, We got company. The door opened, and a young boot with a buzz cut walked in. His windbreaker so tight everyone could see he spent plenty of time in the gym. The entryway blocked his view of the bodies, but that would all change in two steps. I hurried around the desk and held up my hand. What are you doing in here? My question stopped him, made him mumble his answer. I need to ask Captain about something, he said, leaving out he was going to ask for time off. Well, he's busy and doesn't have time for anyone's bullshit. He stood a little taller, puffed his chest. It's not bullshit. I couldn't have been more than five years older, but I asked him, What's your name, son? He deflated. Waterman? Well, Waterman, head to the side entrance and switch places with Nelson. Captain wants to see him immediately. The side entrance? I couldn't remember the term Tone had used and didn't know if it was the correct one anyhow. How fucking long you been here? Look for the two huge motorhomes on the south side. He looked more confused than defiant. But I'm posted at the front. I told him I'd be back in five. Not anymore. I'll get someone else over there. He wasn't a fan of being treated like a child, but he'd faced bigger dicks in the army. Yes, sir, he said, keeping you fucking asshole to himself. I got on the radio and said, Nelson, I've got Waterman headed your way. Switch with him and report to the command center. It took a second for Dirt to reply. Uh, copy that. Waterman left without a word, his mind picturing what he'd do to me in a street fight. The door closed behind Waterman. I wondered if I should lock it. I wouldn't, Becky said from just a few feet away, getting a kick out of my jump. I hadn't heard her sneak out, but there she was, pressed against the wall, sword in hand, close enough to strike if Waterman had taken another step. Hope that was a smart move, she said. They can handle him better than I could. Becky sheathed her sword. Well, it is what it is. What now? Take Sterling's keys. She grabbed the blonde's wrist and dragged him to Donner's office, his mouth peeling back on the floor. I was back to being a soldier and unclipped the keys from his belt, didn't care what I was stepping in. Becky repeated her process with Sterling, tossing him on top of the blonde. Go to the men's room and film everything. What's in there? She slipped off her backpack and handed me a phone. Use this to record. What's in there? Becky didn't answer, busy putting the laptop into the backpack. She brought out a gray package and remote control, set them on the desk. You have his password? Oh, shit. Tone probably has someone that can hack it. Becky had her sword back out and lined up her chop. Look away. I was happy to, but there was no stopping that sound. One thwack, then another. Becky wrapped the finger in a napkin and set it in the backpack. All done. What are you going to do? Get ready. There's been a change of plans. Should I meet you back here? No. Once you've filmed in there, you get on the radio. I'd do it, but they don't have any females working. What do I say? Becky repeated the message Tone had given her. All available units report to the command center. Those at a station remain there until relief comes. I repeated the whole thing so it would sink in. When you radio it in, I'll meet you at the cages. You take the one on the left, and I'll go right. Tell those guards that they're relieved for the meeting. 
She grabbed all her stuff and locked Donner's door behind us. The swirl of coffee and blood brought back stepping in the boot outside the VFW. So what exactly are we doing? Following orders. Getting everyone out. That's what we tried in Brightside. Yeah? Well, that's what we're doing again. Becky glanced about the room. And when you radio it, be sure to add for someone to bring a mop. The last interrogation got messy. The rec room door clunked closed behind me. I waited for my eyes to adjust to the darkness. Imagined I was walking in front of a firing squad. No shots were fired, no boots in sight. With my gun holstered and stun gun in my windbreaker pocket, I made my way to the men's bathroom, key in hand. The bathroom looked no different from any other you'd see in a park. But it felt so wrong, like it was cloaked by an evil cloud. I knew that was bullshit, just my mind messing with me because of what Becky had said. But I couldn't shake the feeling, the eerie light slanting out the window slits only making it worse. I paused at the door, listened closely. Couldn't hear a thing, real or thought. The key slid in. The lock clunked open. A sharp sob came from inside, but it didn't sound like a man. The door creaked and the sobbing grew louder. A woman's panicked thoughts on the edge of my range. No. God, no. Not again. I didn't want to get any closer, but I had my orders. Another step and the edge of a mattress came into view, wedged between the stalls and the wall, no sheet covering it. The counter beside the sink had a stack of folded towels. Beneath it, a pile of wadded-up dirty ones. The smell hit me hard. Piss and shit, blood and semen. It took me back to being 14, Mandy teaching me to be a man. I brought out my gun before turning the corner. Reholstered it when I saw the naked woman curled on the mattress, her bloody wrist handcuffed to the base of the farthest saw. I'm not one of them, I said, my voice cracking. I won't hurt you. The woman, who looked about my age, cradled her head with both arms, bruises spotting her legs and butt, her thoughts on a loop. No, no, no. I grabbed a bunch of towels from the counter, laid them over the woman, my tears falling. Don't believe him, Karina. It's a trick. Calm as I could, I whispered. No, it's not. Karina, I'm here to help. She peeked out from behind her arms, her face battered. You can hear me? I nodded. Can you hear me? Her face showed she couldn't. I don't know if you're talking. I'm not a telepath. Jesus Christ. Time was short. No telling who might stop by for a privileged bathroom break. We're getting out of here, but I have to film this. Let's cover up your face but we need the world to see what the fuck is going on. She took a towel and laid it over her face, then set it to the side. No, she thought. Show them everything. Let them see what kind of monsters they are. I turned on the video, starting with a counter and wadded up towels. Speaking low but loud enough for the recorder, I said, I am in a bathroom at Salazar Park in Los Angeles, where the SSS have a detention center. This is what these officers, the men who have undisputed authority, are doing to protect everyone. 
I focused on the handful of hair on the mattress by her feet. When the camera got to Karina's face, she flinched, but kept strong while I finished. I put the phone in my pocket and got out Sterling's key, used the smallest one to remove Karina's cuff, the skin so puffy and red where it had been rubbed raw. Karina crawled into the stall and came out in a minute with black yoga pants and a UCLA sweatshirt. I need to move forward with our plan. If you want to leave with us, you need to get to the two motorhomes parked in a V at the south entrance. Do I follow you? She asked, not wanting to leave my side. I shook my head. Not yet. Too dangerous. We're breaking everyone out. How? Instead of telling her I didn't know, I handed her my gun, showed her how to take off the safety. Only use this if you have to. It's ready to go. Karina wondered how many bullets she had, if there were enough for each of the men that had violated her. I held up a finger to show I needed silence. This'll just take a minute, I said, as I got out my radio. All available units report to the command center. Those at a station remain there until relief comes. And someone bring a mop. The last interrogation got messy. Chapter 22 There was no way to know how many boots questioned my transmission, but enough copied to give me the courage to leave Karina behind washing off blood. The bathroom door closed behind me, and I set my course for the front of cage one the field lights making it easier to see. I was nearly where the cage met the infield when three boots turned the corner. The shorter one said, Wrong way. I kept walking. I'm relief. None of them cared, and they continued to the rec center. I rounded the corner and looked through the fence. Several silhouettes on the other side of the cages all headed for the emergency meeting. The boot guarding cage one didn't look old enough to drink. He asked me, Any idea what's going on? No. I rubbed my forehead to cover my face a bit. Donner seemed like he was in a good mood. Think it might be about a bonus. The guy slapped my bad shoulder. Fuck yeah. Be back in a bit. I ignored the pain and put my back to the gate, listened for thoughts of the telepaths behind me. A man kept thinking, Fuck, while a woman prayed, God, my savior, my light, watch over your children. If I could hear them, they could probably hear me. Not ready to explain I had no idea what I was doing, I ran through multiples of five, got to 3,125 before a boot approached from the right. The stun gun didn't give me much hope, the plastic feeling like it had shattered under my grip. The next closest boot was in his car facing the bleachers, if this guy confronted me, I had no choice but attack. The footsteps came close enough I could hear Dirt's thoughts. It's all good, Joe. We took out Waterman. Thought you could use some backup. You see Becky? He motioned behind him with his submachine gun. She's at cage three. I got two. Your guard's already gone? Yep. Nothing left to do but get everyone the fuck out of here. Where are they going to go? Open your gate on our signal. Send them to the south entrance. What's the signal? You'll know. Dirt turned and walked back to his post. I checked my gate to see what kind of lock they had on it. Figured I should find a key. There isn't one, a woman thought. One gun does the trick. She was right. Nothing but a latch I had to lift. 
There were only two women in my range, but I wasn't sure which one I was talking to. You know who I am? No, but I'm praying you're underground. As quietly as you can, spread the word that we're getting out. The lady wrapped in the brown blanket looked up, a flash of hope in her eyes. When? Metal clicked on cage two. Everything amplified in the wide open. Prisoners crept out both gates and headed toward Becky, who was barely visible, guiding people around the corner. My heart thumped, my eyes darting between both cars on the infield. All it would take was a look in their rear view. From one of the other cages, a woman screamed, No! No! I said, Oh, fuck, and threw open the gate, told the prisoners to go my way instead of Becky's. The second I said it, the door to the rec center opened, two boots stepping out to see what was going on. The woman, who sounded a whole lot like Sarah, yelled, You can't! A giant explosion tore through the night. The rec center exploding in a big ball of flame. The boots obliterated. Go, go, go! I shouted as prisoners hurried through the gate, but just as many stayed balled up on the ground. Gunfire popped off by the main entrance. Prisoners hitting the dirt. No way to tell if they've been hit by bullets or were taking cover. One burst, then another erupted from our side. Becky and Dirt returning fire. Both boot vehicles drove off the pitcher mounds. I thought the closest one was headed for the rubble of the rec center, but he was coming right for us. The car just a few feet from the fence we were running beside. I yelled, Scatter! There was no time for anyone to react, the car mowing down an older couple twenty yards behind us, everyone screaming. Loud as I could, I shouted, Against the fence! Everyone! I grabbed the teenage boy beside me and jumped into the fence, praying we wouldn't bounce back. The fence held for a second, and we started to rebound, but then bodies plowed into us. Enough weight to knock the entire length of the fence onto the grass, the car's tires tearing right by. I screamed in pain, all that weight driving me into the ground, but I could barely hear myself with the gunshots, prisoners screaming as their bodies bounced off the car's hood and disappeared under the wheels. The man on my back rolled off me as the car flew past the corner of the cage and smashed into a man the size of Wendell crawling on all fours. The driver's side wheel left the ground as it rolled over him, and the driver couldn't regain control, the car spinning in a circle, coming to a stop on the grass. My stun gun was worthless from so far away. No chance I could make it to the car before the driver got out and mowed us all down. Some of the prisoners fled back into their cage and huddled with those that had stayed behind, but the rest took off running. The car's interior light went on as the driver stepped out, blasts of gunfire as he picked off the closest escapees, bodies thumping to the ground. I got up and told the kid I'd grabbed, stay down. These people were dying because of me. I ran for the car, didn't care about the bullets. There was another blinding blast, but it came from right behind the driver, put him face down on the hood of the car. It was Karina, the gun hanging loose in her hand. Dirt came running around the corner. Load that car up and get the fuck out of here. A bald guy with a matted black beard threw the boot off the hood and got behind the wheel. Four others jumped in and they sped past us as we ran for the exit. Dirt was beside me, close enough to hear my worries. I think she made it out the front. Tone's there. I wondered who was watching the south entrance, and I figured I'd find out soon enough. Bursts of bright gunfire came from the cluster of cars to the right. One, two, three people collapsed, smacking the ground in front of us. 
Dirt pulled something out of his windbreaker and chucked it at the cars, dropping to his knees and yelling, Get down! I was too slow to react, and the explosion knocked me on my ass. Dirt jumped to his feet and ran for Chang's motorhome, stopping in the shadow that we'd been hiding in only 15 minutes before. Everyone down this street! Run! Hide! I stayed beside Dirt, knew it was the safest place to be. He grabbed an able-looking man who'd been helping a young boy. Dirt handed him the keys and a phone. The white van down the street. Take it and as many people that'll fit. The guy didn't know what to say, so Dirt pushed him in the right direction. I couldn't understand. Why'd you do that? Dirt took one look back in the park. Get in the motorhome. What? He peeled back from the corner and ran for the door. They're coming! The first sign that Dirt had this planned was the motorhome's cab light not turning on like it had when Chang exited the vehicle. The second was him guiding me down the narrow corridor despite only the faintest light streaming through the curtained window. Dirt stopped us before the doorway to the bathroom and wedged me between the wall and the dark plastic bag stacked chest high along the right side of the RV. Sit tight, Dirt instructed. Men yelled outside. Keep your thoughts clear as you can. Remember, they got sentinels. There was no way he'd be able to fit into the space with me. I worried he was going to leave. You going in the bedroom? Nah, first place they'll look. Dirt towed my boots so I brought my knees to my chest. Then he laid one of those thick plastic bags over my legs. I'll be right behind the cab. I don't have a gun. Dirt reached under his windbreaker and pulled a pistol from the shoulder holster. Fifteen plus one. Use them wisely. I felt better with the gun, but sirens were screaming toward us. How long are we gonna hide? He headed for the front. Long as it takes. The air felt too thin like my first day in Brightside, the elevation kicking my ass. But this was just my mind dealing with claustrophobia and the fear I wouldn't be able to get out if I tried. The sirens grew louder as my eyes adjusted, able to see the bags were stacked four high. Tires squealed to a stop by the front of the motorhome. The sirens ceased, but strobing red lights flashed through our window. A car door slammed shut, then another. Sounded like a couple more cars rolled up, the doors opening and closing. Men talked outside, but too muffled to hear. A savage intensity of hate hit me hard. Someone thinking, gonna kill these motherfuckers. A gravelly voice barked, Blake, you're with me. Merkin, go with Cyan's. Everyone said, yes, sir, with one of them calling him sergeant. I'd hoped they were going to go straight past us, but the motorhome door opened. The sergeant said, Fucking lights busted. Someone outside said, Say with this one. There was the slightest shift when the sergeant climbed aboard. The back of the motorhome was illuminated with a click of a button, a high-powered flashlight showing everything. Quiet as I could, I brought the bag over my head, made it so just my right eye peeked out. The sergeant said, If anyone's in this vehicle, announce yourself now. This is an order. I hoped Dirt's hiding place was better than mine, but I expected a gunfight any second. Another set of footsteps entered. The sergeant said, Blake, clear the back. Yes, sir. Everything went black, 
but only long enough for the sergeant to adjust his light around Blake, who was headed my way, one slow step after another. Sounding irritated, the sergeant said, Go! You're covered! Blake walked faster and right into my range, his thoughts flying. Be empty, be empty. Staying hidden behind the black bags, I leveled the gun where I figured his chest would be. I wouldn't shoot unless Blake saw me. If that happened, Dirt would have to take out the sergeant, and then it'd be the two of us versus the two in Nelson's motorhome. Plus, who knows how many boots hanging around outside. Blake shuffled forward and stopped right in front of me, the barrel of his submachine gun sticking into the bathroom. Unlike the others we'd seen, he was all swatted out with a bulletproof vest and helmet. I'd have to hit his neck, a tough shot from my position. Okay, okay, Blake told himself as he swiveled to clear the left side of the bathroom, pausing when he turned back my way, the flashlight reflecting off his narrowed eye. He started talking and I nearly fired, the trigger halfway there when I realized he'd said, Bathroom clear. From the other motorhome, one of the men shouted, All clear, Sergeant. Blake entered the back room and banged around on the cupboards and closets. He came back through, thinking, Thank God. All clear, Sarge. Someone outside shouted for the sergeant. Fuck, we got one of ours out here. Another boot said, Shit, under that one too. The flashlight clicked off, and the sergeant left our motorhome, Blake right behind him. God damn it, get them out from there, the sergeant said. News crews are coming. Let's show them what they did. My stomach clenched so hard it woke me. It tightened again, a loud gurgle going with it. I breathed in deep and gagged on the smell of shit and piss. I checked my pants, relieved to find my crotch dry. The smell had been there all along. I just hadn't noticed it. I slipped the phone from my pocket, kept it under the bag to check the time. 10.18. I'd been sitting over three hours in the same position, my shoulders screaming at me to find a pill or something to take away the pain. The first hour had been the worst, boots and news crews walking past us, in and out of the park's entrance, so many thoughts jolting me out of a semi-conscious state. The light from the phone shined off the zipper of the bag by my hip. I eased open the zipper and reached inside. No question I touched flesh, the round of someone's shoulder. I felt stupid for not guessing what the smell had been. A stack of forty bodies on a slow decay. But what I really felt right then was that I was going to shit my pants in a matter of seconds, my stomach furious. As far as I knew, Dirt and I were alone in the motorhome. There was going to be the noise and smell of my bowels letting loose, so I figured it was worth the risk to use the toilet, the desire to die with clean underwear stronger than my fear of death itself. I slid the phone back into my pocket and holstered the pistol. Getting up was going to hurt, but I was determined. Everything went pins and needles except for the lance of fire driving through my shoulder. My eyes had adjusted, and I could see the length of the corridor the cab looking empty. As quietly as I could, I set down my empty body bag and eased into the bathroom, struggled to get my jeans down in time, a flood of nastiness pouring out of me, the splash even louder. Someone outside said, You hear something? Nah, 
I'd come to terms with there being no toilet paper, but then I noticed the roll on the back of the toilet. Three quick wipes and I had my pants up, my gun out. The instinct was to flush, but I just closed the lid. Prayed it didn't smell any worse than the rest of the place. I was returning to my spot when the cab door opened and someone dropped into the driver's seat. I sat down on the toilet, swiveled my legs so they couldn't be seen down the corridor, readied my gun. Another door opened and closed. A new voice, full of anger, said, What you waiting for, Jones? The engine started and Jones said, HQ, this is R6, headed to DS-14. Repeat, R6 to DS-14. HQ copied Jones over the radio, said he was all clear. The motorhome eased forward and down the street. Jones sounded kind of scared when he said, I can't believe this shit is happening. Why? Did you go back there? You see how many guys we lost? Nothing like Fallujah. This ain't shit. Yeah, who, but... This is our soil. Sounding disgusted, he said, Our own people are attacking us. The boots kept up their conversation, but I leaned against the bathroom wall and tuned them out so I could concentrate on breathing and feeling better. There were a bunch of turns, but I didn't keep track of those either. No way I'd ever retrace our steps. We'd been driving about ten minutes when I risked a peek. The empty street was in an industrial area buildings lit for their graveyard crews. The motorhome's turn indicator clicked, and we slowed to a stop at a solid metal gate with razor wire on top. A window up front rolled down. R6 with drop-off. An intercom buzzed and a voice said, Copy that. He paused before he asked, Is it true what happened? Jones said, Afraid so. Any chance they'd try something on a place like this? Hoop said, you better act like it. 24 hours a day. Shit happens when your guard's down. The gate guard said, Yes, sir. And the gate rolled open. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.